0: What's wrong with the Matrix? Like, something's happening. <laughs> something's wrong.
1: <laughs> Can't put an ice cream cone in the back pocket on Sunday or tie a giraffe to a telephone pole.
0: So, obviously, laws are fake. You, people think birds are fake. Fucking laws are fake. They don't. That doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's wacky as hell. And so that's obviously psychotic. We should not do that. And the better way is to be Yeti with his Yeti people. You're like a piece cut from a cloth. Maybe art is the answer.
2: The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. And with that, I'd like to turn over to my colleague, Senator Cruz. Over the past two decades, Congress has been bankrupting our nation. You go back to the year 2000. Our national debt was $5 trillion that sounds like a wildly different world than where we are today because it was a wildly different world. Think about that for a moment. Forty-two presidents over the course of more than two centuries had built up a total debt of $5 trillion. Then a Republican came into office, George W. Bush. And over the next eight years, under a Republican president, our national debt went from $5 trillion to $10 trillion, we doubled the national debt in just eight years. Then a Democrat came into office, Barack Obama, and over the next eight years, the national debt doubled yet again, going from $10 trillion to $20 trillion. Now, pause and reflect on that. Forty-two presidents over two centuries billed $5 trillion in debt. Two presidents, one Republican and one Democrat, over just 16 years, quadrupled our national debt. And now, over the last six years, again, with a Republican president and a Democrat president, we've seen national debt grow from $20 trillion to $31.5 trillion. This is unsustainable the american people at home if you're fed up with inflation if you're fed up with the cost of food skyrocketing with the cost of electricity of rent of lumber of mortgages of gasoline of cars of everything you buy it's because politicians in washington cannot stop spending money that we don't have
0: i don't know if you want to keep listening it's pretty decent decent little talk he was giving yeah I didn't realize it was so much so fast. It's amazing, isn't it? So, like, if things hold, then within the next eight years, well, less than that now, it will get pretty close to doubling again. (laughs) (laughs) We're on an exponential growth pattern. That's what it seems like. But, yeah, I don't know. Well, we've hit that part in the curve. You know how, like, when you look at those logarithmic or exponential scales where they go, whoop! And they just shoot up. I don't know what that's called. <laughs> what is that? The asymptote. What is the thing where they? F-
1: the asymptote. Yeah. Is that right?
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, they approach the asymptote. Um, interesting. Yeah. Well, Very I don't know. Like. I think, like, I think he's drawing. There is a connection between inflation and the cost of things and government spending, but it's not the only thing that causes inflation. So, like, the government overspending is unrelated to printing money.
0: One of the reporters makes that point and they do try to answer it basically. So one of them tries to separate like a couple of those factors. And these guys are basically, I can't remember what, what his, what the comeback was, but it was basically like, well, you can do that, but you have to look at it all as one package because they're so interconnected essentially. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that they're connected and you could think about maybe it all under the umbrella of like monetary or fiscal responsibility Probably the same government who is printing a bunch more dollars, increasing the money supply, is probably likely the same government that's going to overspend uh, or spend more than it takes in in taxes and whatnot. Yeah. Should we let him so, finish his
0: little thing? It's The whole thing isn't even that long. but he, It's like five speakers, but he's just one in the middle.
2: As everyone here is writing, the debt ceiling is coming up, and the debt ceiling historically has proven the most effective lever point to force meaningful concessions. Now, let me dispense with a canard. Nobody standing here wants to default on the debt. Let me be absolutely clear and unequivocal. The United States of America should never, ever, ever default on its debt. And whether or not the debt ceiling is raised immediately, the United States will not default on its debt. Why? Because revenue that comes in each month exceeds the interest payments that erode
0: can we just pause for a second and think about the logic here i'm i'm not like in disagreement with what he's saying but i'm saying that is a wild bar to set i mean i get it he's like a technical thing like technically we won't default because the technical definition of default if i understand it is that you don't make even the interest payments. You're not even making the interest payments.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So it sounds like we're about this far from not being able to make the interest payments because the way we're talking about it is not paying the debt down. We're talking about still covering the interest on the debt that we carry. Right, exactly. Exactly. Because we're not actually
1: paying down any of the debt. What we reached it. at the term of the end of the budget or the you know debts or the spending ceiling or whatever is that we don't have money to keep paying the interest payments given our a, expenditures
0: that seems like a psychotic approach to running the financial system of a country oh yeah to like I mean, always it totally be is. right on the precipice like, because if if you have a credit card or you're just paying the interest what are you talking about that's
1: how i run my credit cards or anything <laughs> a kidding. car
0: please anything. do not do that Exactly. Like it's the worst because you what you end up doing if you never pay down the loan, the loan,
1: the principal, as they say, yeah, right,
0: is it's a product. But what you're really getting is this fucked up deal <laughs> where it's like, actually, it's kind of like a gift because you can keep this money forever. It's like playing a rent on something.
1: Well, it's the cost of time, the time value of money. You know, like right. having money today versus having money tomorrow. But they're not supposed to work like that. It's not supposed to be just in perpetuity. You just pay this Right, exactly. If you
0: held on to, if you bought a car for, let's say, just small numbers, five grand, and you held on to that loan and just, like, do what America's doing and just pay interest, ultimately that car is going to cost you, could could cost you an infinite amount of money. like and Just mm-hmm. infinite. Like, you could well, never pay the interest the principal down and just yeah. keep paying this interest and that'll just keep you from defaulting
1: yeah it depends too on what the interest policy is like do you always just pay interest on the principal or do you do you pay interest on the interest i think uh that's maybe i don't remember whether is that ballooning or whatever um, there is
0: a type of interest that can be charged that can really destroy you
1: <laughs> i do know yeah that. but uh anyway yeah i think uh it's so good but I think to their point it's like it actually is a fixable problem so
0: yes that's what they that's the whole thing that's what they're talking about they're like we can actually do this it's fine we'll just keep doing this bullshit where we just pay the interest but we could keep doing that but we we don't have a balanced budget and if we yeah. all their these guys were asking for essentially was like let us just balance the budget weird
1: well I have a topic Um, if you want to talk about it so Let me pose this to you. I don't know how deep we'll go into it, but I was watching The Chicago 7, which is a wonderful movie, uh, historical drama, fiction, I guess, which is about a true story, but it's like a dramatized version of it, where The Chicago 7 was this trial. These seven people were put on trial for these protests that had happened in Chicago about the Vietnam War, and these were students, these organizations were going to come to Chicago and put on this protest, but they hadn't been granted permits for the area where they were protesting. And so they were in violation of the law. And so anyway, so these people got put on trial, uh, but there were lots of different protest groups. And so the people who were put on trial were kind of like picked from these different groups. And they didn't actually know each other, but they were kind of being charged of like conspiracy and protest. Like these people conspired together to set up this protest that was illegal, which was kind of like de facto not true because these people didn't even know each other. Anyway, it was this weird like political trial that happened. You can watch a the movie, they go into depth about it, but this is a long backstory uh, to tell the fact that... So the, what do you call it, the attorney on the case, William Kunstler, uh, so he took on the case of Chicago 7 and um, defended them. And I just thought it was very interesting. He seemed like an interesting guy. Um and I was curious to know more about him, so I looked him up, like the real guy, and he was very interesting. And he was part of this group of like activist, kind of extremist lawyers, who took on. I think they took on some pro bono cases, but he was quoted as saying, like, "I only take on cases that I uh, believe in, or and I only defend the people that I love." I think is the case. The quote that he said, which is a departure from what's normal in the field of law, because you, I think, are actually obliged to take on any client, regardless of your belief in their case, because every client or every citizen is entitled to a defense. Um, So that's a little bit of a radical departure. Um, But I thought it was interesting because I do find lawyers to be kind of sleazy. And this person seemed to defend uh, very interesting cases. For example, he was the person who was teeing up the legal defense for the American flag burning case that went to the Supreme Court. There was a citizen who had been charged with the crime for burning an American flag, and they argued that this was a form of free speech and that you couldn't lock this person up. And I think William Kunstler was quoted in that case as saying something like, patriotism is like a crook's game or something like that, where like, actually, you know, your allegiance should be to other people and not to the nation and to the values in your community. Um, Wait. It shouldn't be to the values either, or no. It should be to the values, but it shouldn't oh, okay. be blindly to a country, to a flag. Um, it should be. To so the you people.
0: shouldn't pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, and for all. Well, I don't do think he would go that far. I just oh.
1: think he was saying that you shouldn't be punished for not doing those things. So anyway, all that to say, I watched this documentary uh, about him a little bit. I watched him do this debate. And one interesting kind of thing he had with this guy, this conversation debate he had, was about authority. And so this other guy, I think he was also a lawyer, tried to, like, corner him and say, like, well, you know, who are you to say this is right or this is okay? You know, if it's against the law, like, where does the authority come from? And uh, because one of the things William Kunstler had said was, like, He quoted someone like a historical figure, maybe Jefferson, I don't remember, but essentially like that one of the highest acts of respect of the law is sometimes breaking the law because you think that the law is not right and you are willing to bear the consequences of it and that you think that it's important enough to suffer the consequences of breaking the law that you think is unjust. And so that's kind of like the nonviolent protest movement, you know, in the 1960s was a little bit about that. And whatnot. And that shows great respect for the legal system, actually, is his argument. And then this guy was kind of saying, well, how do you know that? You know, what makes it right? Like, do you just get to decide which laws are, laws are just or unjust? Um, who decides? And his, his kind of take was like, well, judges should really decide. You know, the court system should decide,
0: not Wait, you. judges or your juries? Because I think that's a, dis- a distinction that makes a big difference. Yeah. No, that's a because because I've I was following along with that notion to some extent initially, because that only that kind of protest or whatever you want to call that only works in the presence of those laws. Mm-hmm. The respect like if you break is coming the law. from the fa- like I'm gonna like I'm gonna break the law. What does that mean? Well, that means you're gonna face consequences. Why? Because in theory, the law is like impersonal, and you respect it, and you know it's going to do this to you. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And then because of the legal system that we have being what's the there's the French one, which is civil law versus common law. French exactly. is more civil yes. law. We have a common law system, which is an English system. Right. So the civil law being like here's law, do what it says or don't, you know. And then mm. common law being like, here's the laws, uh liable to change in the future.
1: Right. Up to interpretation based on precedent.
0: Yeah, because you never, because then you go to this jury of your peers, and it's very important to not be a judge and that it be the juries of your peers. And then mm. they decide. And what people don't know, because with this being the case, you would have, you could think easily that, well, then prohibition should have never mattered in the first place. So, like, and I mean the current prohibition, prohibition on like, Drugs, marijuana in particular, because of how benign and ridiculous the outlawing of it is, and how well known the reason for its outlawing being for industry or and,
1: classing as Schedule One class
0: and classing it as Schedule One, even worse because that means it has com- no medical value, which is hilarious because that's just hilarious. <laughs> like nobody, some people may wonder if really there is any medical benefit to dosing LSD. But no one's wondering that about, I mean, pot, there's literal effects that are well-known cures that are also not cures unless you have certain ailments. But it does have actual effects, like giving you the munchies, for example. That is called an appetite stimulant. So,
1: Yeah, but even the LSD thing is crazy. Even that. It's like... Yeah. That was literally going on at the time, those cases where they were literally curing people's alcoholism yeah. with LSD right before they scheduled it as class one, which is like the most
0: incredible medical rig that had ever been discovered. Right. And LSD is class one, too. So it was a bad example because I was trying to actually use an example like NDMA. Like, what is that? Class two, probably. I think so that's
1: also – or maybe it's class two. I don't know.
0: But one of them. Or schedule one, schedule two, whatever. There are things that are scheduled two that have less medical – Mm-hmm, Just sure. off the cuff, obvious benefit than something at like a plant because like part of the whole medical theory is like don't also like do as little harm as possible. In fact, don't treat in theory if the treatment is possibly going to cause harms that are worse than the ailment, which we do not respect that anymore, but that is a part of it. But what I was saying is so because we have jury systems, like every pot case ever should have and should still go to jury. Mm. And every jury, I think the process is called jury nullification, because it would be incorrect to say that they are found to be not guilty. So you can find them guilty and have some kind of conscious conscience problem with whatever the thing is. It's like why probably... Mm. We recognize the difference between like murder and like a crime of passion, for example. Yeah. Can't the judge
1: but, also like do something sort of akin to that where in an exceptional circumstance,
0: the judge can sort of waive punishment or whatever? I think so. But what usually happens is that if somebody in the courtroom brings up jury nullification, from what I've heard, the judge will say, that's stricken and we will hear nothing on this matter. And if yeah. you research it, which I feel like I have, it's basically, that's pre- pretty much the outcome. It's like, this never works. Like, it's it's not even allowed to work. Like, some people don't even believe in it and all this different stuff. But I'm getting off yeah. the point. But the point no, being okay. that this is like, it's a respect for the law and like how, in theory, it should work.
1: Yeah, well, back to authority. It's like, I think, you know, there's judges. And as you pointed out, like maybe two, you know, it's juries more so than judges. Um, although the judges maybe are the ones handing out the punishment. The jury's the ones deciding whether or not you've done it wrong. Um, but there's also litigators who are the ones actually writing the laws, uh, or not litigators, sorry, legislators, who are the ones writing the laws and deciding uh, what's right and wrong. And you know, you could say, well, we've bestowed authority upon them by electing them. And maybe that happens too with the courts. Uh, judges are elected. Um, but sometimes appointed depends on the judge. And so I was thinking, though it is kind of interesting because uh, you know you write a law and then it stands for a long time, and and then it's like, well, where does the authority come from to say what's right or wrong? And I think, uh, well, when I was watching this debate, I saw the one person, not William Kunstler, the person he was debating with, sort of, you know, seemed to make the argument that it was other people, like specific people in positions that they've been appointed to, maybe by their peers maybe been elected to um, or climbed to in in a bureaucratic system, that those people have authority, that their position, their status gives them authority, because we've all decided that those people should be in the positions that have the authority that comes along with that position. And then William Kunstler was sort of making the case that, you know, authority comes from something within, like it doesn't, rest in positions or people in high places Um, and it comes from like the heart like him kind of saying like I only defend people I love that there's something intrinsically authoritative about what's right and wrong that doesn't come from society I thought it was an interesting yeah back and forth what do you think what are your thoughts any thoughts on authority where it comes from well, it's kind of a hard question and a nuanced take on it. And maybe you could just share any thoughts on authority. I know you've also, you you know, don't
0: like the cops or whatever. <laughs> I mean, generally maybe. Generally speaking, I feel like what they do for a living is completely and utterly unconscionable. And I could never imagine a world in which I put myself in that position willingly without being a complete and utter total psychopath. But that's not to say that all cops are bad. I don't know what is wrong with them, but something for sure And I feel like to be a police officer would indicate to me that you have a very extreme ideology, a very authoritarian and very extreme ideology where it becomes to you okay to exact violence against people who are not exacting violence against you or anyone for that matter. And that's not to say that every case is a case of that. There are times where people are apprehended who are in the middle of doing things that are... Violent. uh, Yeah, apprehensible yeah so that's totally true. But those same people will pull you over for doing whatever the fuck they say you were and write you tickets for not wearing a seatbelt. ridiculous law makes absolutely zero sense
1: arresting people for marijuana, things like that. arresting people we, we were for just pot. talking
0: about zoning code violations that make absolutely no sense, not have, being able to have a political sign in your front yard or some crazy shit or not being able to build a tiny little lean-to on the side of your house without having the government come by. Ultimately, every government interaction that is not complied with, where you don't comply, will eventually be met with a gun in your face and handcuffs for you to wear it to jail. If yeah. you don't comply, that is ultimate. So all police officers are the violent hands of the system. The monopoly on force. So to they ha- It is absolutely what they are. And so th- that's my point on that particular uh, expose on authority. What in that case is authority? In that case, what it is is some bullshit that makes a little sense. I could argue both sides. I could argue for the police and make those good arguments too, but e- anybody can do that. It's easy to be afraid and to say, but scary things happen and we need someone with guns to take care of that shit. That's a super sure. easy argument to make. It takes zero critical thinking.
1: Or maybe it's just the normative argument. It's like what we have. So it's easy to argue. Plus, for that. It. It's a positivist argument.
0: So, but there is a question of what is the definition of authority really? And so I feel like authority has got to be related to the word authorship. So it says
1: authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Or two, a person or organization having power or control in a particular typically political or administrative sphere. That was just like the dictionary results from Google. But here's the etymology. So it originates from Latin auctor, originator or promoter. So probably the same root as author as you were proposing. And then it is a combination of Old French autorite and English author.
0: Um, Yeah, so you were exactly correct. Okay, this is interesting. It's very... uh, Tell me if this is circular. Okay, so I found a definition from Oxford. And since that sounds fancy, I'm going to use theirs. We could definitely pick apart this Google definition, though. (laughs) But here's your quick reference. So, definition of authority. Legitimate power, decision-making capacity, and the means to cause others to obey. Okay, so... Legitimate power. So, then I wanted to know what does legitimate mean? And this is where it gets a little circular. Conforming to the law or to rules. Okay. So, power that conforms to the law, decision making capacity, and the means to cause others to obey. I would say that legitimate applies to power, decision making capacity, and the means to cause others to obey. So, according to the law, the yeah, police fit that perfectly. They have law, we say the word legitimate is dubious, but it just means conforming to the law. So yeah, the law, pieces of paper, say that they have the power, whatever power means, we could define that, decision-making capacity, which they have some degree of, and the means to cause others to obey, guns. Yeah. Well, so here's another part of the etymology that I found interesting.
1: So from Latin, octoritatum, which is uh, defined as invention, advice. Opinion, influence, command. And from Akhtor, uh master, leader, author. So I thought that's kind of interesting because in that, it starts sounding a little bit like might is right kind of thing, like influence, command, power, you know, whatever. Whoever can control, you know, or has influence, that's where authority rests, you know. It rests merely on power.
0: Legitimate power. That word legitimate, though, would be, in our you know ancient past for sure, one of the most contentious pieces of information contained in that definition, like who gets to sit on the throne. Right. I feel like that's right. a big component of it. And I think that's why, whatever you want to call it, government, communities, groups, democracy, is so delicate in a way, because it only exists in a certain state- if every, all the conditions are kept just right. And otherwise, it's very volatile. It converts quickly into other things. So democracy can immediately, like overnight, it could become anything. A dictatorship, authoritarian fascism. It could be anything. Well, it's interesting that bit about like legitimate, like accordance to the law. Which law is like this very, it's actually a quite a fundamental thing.
1: Yeah, kind of like maybe not even the law that people wrote down. I think that's the colloquial understanding but like before back in the day you know like the Old Testament kind of thing like the law is like given by God like the law like man didn't write the law down like man went up to the mountain like Moses and God gave him the law like the 10 you know commandments, the tablets or whatever.
0: Well because that you're already gonna end up immediately with well what is right and wrong right right so that we can have a law because the law is supposed to do something, prevent something, cause something
1: or it's uh maybe just general principles of
0: truth or how nature is like how to be in the world well then they would be statements though not commands so your word law like turns theoretically in that understand with that view of it mm. would turn like some natural phenomenon into a piece of paper or bring that piece of paper is just some statement yeah, or yeah. command that's being brought under And now we have under what? Well, this something. And the reason that's important or different is because it has now in this occurring all at once circular kind of thing. It's like becoming law according to its own definition. And law has power. Otherwise, law is useless. You know, it's just it's but it's so fundamental because it arises so quickly. But if you're not trying to control other people. You don't end up with law. That's the interesting thing.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, because I think, uh, yeah, you could reframe maybe what I said a second ago as uh, like life sustaining. I think that's maybe the biblical, like the laws are like what sustain life and community life, maybe even to like social life, Um, like why they're called the deadly sins, for example, like the sins lead to death. Um, That's why they're violations against the law. And yeah, I think uh, there's something there where if you stray from the law, you get punished maybe with death kind of naturally. Like you don't need to enforce a punishment artificially to the law. Now, maybe there's, you know, you'd like to mitigate the natural consequences of dealing with nature or society or whatever, just the world. Um, and have a law, you know, like...
0: Well, yeah, here's a law that's interesting, like a good example, like an, one to think about, which then you could have another example that's very different from this to, to tease out the difference. But, like, now, think of the context of which we're talking about laws in. And then realize that here's oftentimes a law. You can't play your music at a certain volume. There's, like, little weird things like that where it's like
1: can't put an ice cream cone in the back pocket on Sunday or tie a giraffe to a telephone pole or like
0: all the, there's a bunch of funny weird laws. It's And it's just one of those things where it's like, so you're commonly in apartments, right? Or something. A condo. Populated area. Yeah. Yeah. Is the reason that you don't, because I'm assuming you don't play music so loud that it disturbs your neighbors. Now I'm wondering if that's the case. Do you not do that because you might go to jail (laughs) or get a fine? Or is there a different reason that keeps you from playing the music too loud?
1: I would say I don't do it out of respect
0: for my neighbors, um, right? Because I wouldn't want that to happen to me. There it is. That's just the most simple, basic human thought. That would be annoying. That's all, right? Now, instead, now there's the now there's the force of law in many cases behind that, which again, all law not complied with ultimately comes down to a gun in your face. And your hands tied behind your back, and you're put in a cage until you either comply, until you comply. That's the whole vibe. So, well, I was gonna say maybe in that case, it's like the reason is
1: so that when people do, you know, those things, that we have grounds which to, you know, take action against them or whatever. Um, And there's something about that, like laying down the common framework agreements that we take as a community you know like we could try to rely on like well you know everybody kind of respects each other and we'll just sort it out but maybe it's good to you know lay that out precisely as we can uh but, so that but you then know laws
0: become infinite and you right. end up with so many and i think that's you, what we have yeah right so you could never know all the laws in fact right. they, there's like a common saying that like you break like five laws a day without even knowing it And even if you were told, you probably wouldn't even know that what you did was breaking the law. You know what I mean? Like, that's a law? Like, what? So there's all sorts of laws. And I think that that's interesting.
1: It expands at infinitum.
0: Yeah, I can imagine being being a Native American. Now, take all of the American laws and put them in one spot. I don't know. They probably fill a fucking football stadium. And then you're like, hey, Native American guy or like indigenous person who doesn't participate in society up until this point if you'd like we're just going to tell you a little bit about ourselves you can be part of our <laughs> society if you'd like i know this isn't how it went but i'm just giving hypothetical like i if you'd like to be a part of our society all you have to do is just kind of obey our rules and that's all and just you know be say a pledge of allegiance or something and then you're like well what are the rules and then you show well it's right over here and then you point to books that fill an entire baseball stadium or football stadium and you go, these are the rules. No one in their right minds would be like, that's the, uh, is it worth it? You know what I mean? Like, cause it's <laughs> instrument. You couldn't read them in a lifetime. So you'd have to look at it and just go, do I trust these fucking people? Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it's not too. full of crazy shit.
1: Yeah, we went in and, you know, we said, hey, Native American people, you're breaking
0: these laws. Um, Yeah, we wrote things on paper and you're not following them. We're like, we don't read that paper. Well, you (laughs) do today. Yeah. But yes, I'm saying. But that's an
1: interesting case, too, because then there was even disputes with Native American tribes over like Native American tribes would argue like this. You can't do this or this doesn't apply or we should own this land or we shouldn't have to pay for this or this shouldn't be sold for money because we don't believe in these laws like these laws don't have any authority over our tribe and i thought that that's like back to the kind of the point it's like where does authority rest because here you have native americans supposedly living in the united states country kind of uh, maybe on a reservation or something and uh yeah i mean there are things in our laws that they don't think are applicable to them they don't yeah,
0: because so obviously laws are fake (laughs) like you people think birds are fake fucking laws are fake they don't. That doesn't even exist. Words in the wind. <laughs> literally. What if I? Nev- what if I'm Bigfoot, and I've never seen anybody before, and then one day I just happen upon like a city? Uh, to quote Ozark, I don't have to know shit about fuck to understand yeah. that that si- situation is problematic. That like obvious. So do laws apply? Like, what does that mean? What happens? So did they used to apply to the Yeti before he came to civilization, or now they do, now do they apply? Did they apply? So this is like a borderline conspiratorial in my mind because I'm like, how does that start then? Because So I'm like, well, how do you know that the Yeti is in – like what about the Yeti keeps him from having our laws apply to him? And I think the answer might be as simple as either a birth certificate or a social security number or the combo. Like, you kind of belong to the state. You know, you're kind of owned, in a way, by the state. You're under the state's authority by what? Not by being here, because the Yeti, is that, isn't that debatable, whether or not the Yeti has to participate?
1: Yeah. Ben's not
0: listening. I'm just, Sorry. I'm just talking. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's good. <laughs>
1: I just, I feel so terrible. I have to go. Someone put something on my calendar.
0: Oh, my God. I know.
1: Caught in the thick of it
0: and i just had a little breaky break just right here that's where ben and me gotta realign right there why 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 do you sound like this (laughs) (laughs) okay so
1: we went away and (laughs) mr a did drugs and my pee is neon green i'm on fire Wait, wait, what What did you say? What did you say? I am ready to kill the second half of this conversation. I'm on fire. And also, oh, my I'm... pee is neon green from this vitamin
0: that I oh. took. Oh, okay, okay. I swear, I just heard my pee is on fire, but I got it. That's, know. might
1: be. Um, <laughs> I literally, this is so gross, but I had this experience where my pee was ombre the other day. And I wow. swear, I started peeing and it was neon green. And then when I finished, it was clear. And I was like, what just oh, happened? Wow.
0: <laughs> it was just the last bit of that <laughs> vitamin.
1: I do not know how that works. If someone is a medical professional, please write into the show. Tell me what's going on. You must
0: have sat really still for a long time as your bladder filled up (laughs) and then you just gently walked (laughs) over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh,
1: Anyway, um,. I don't know if we should start over and just do a quick recap or we should just put it all together. I think we just put Last it all together. Last I
0: remember, I feel, I feel like I was talking about being a Yeti.
1: You said something about authority doesn't apply to
0: Yetis. Yeah, it was such a... All I remember is it was such a good point. It was such a good was point. <laughs> and the point was... Oh, God, I'm going to have to get serious. Hang on. God, i have to get
1: serious this is too lighthearted for this show
0: i don't actually i don't think i remember what the point was i could start talking and try to find my way back but it had something to do with the yeti and if i'm the yeti and i come up to civilization and they have all their laws did the laws apply to me before I just kind of stumbled upon oh. their land because I was always in the border of their land and the you know I was always within the border. Yeah, yeah. So it's like so what then? F- therefore, is a law really? And what's I think I was trying to tease out too. What what is different about the yeti?
1: Mm. It really just lives in the mind, maybe.
0: Yeah, like so the only thing different about him. Or at least part of it in some way. Oh, I pointed out I think I remember, I pointed out social security cards and birth certificates. Like that's so it's like that would bring him Cause like, let's say there is a Yeti that stumbles across and he's like, Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of us out here. We're just doing Yeti things and you're or Bigfoot things. Here we are. Do they have to obey the laws? Cause there's a shitload mm-hmm. of laws. And it's not just like the obvious natural law stuff, like don't kill any of us. I mean, like if you make any money or any gain, you know, right. Interacting with any of these people, you have to pay us 10% of that. And then you got to tell us where you live and, or otherwise you can't have anything. And then once you tell us where you live, we'll tell you how much money you have to give us every year for living there yeah you know it's like so what really is what's the difference? it's like it's like this weird thing. I like the con- kind of conspiracy about the birth certificate and the social security number like being this like commoditized version of you like you're not it's like you're slave papers or something you know like mm. what what is that relationship and it's like fantastical and then what I'm talking about borders on like anarchy in a way because you're like well, that's the government, and so that's obviously psychotic. We should not do that. And the better way is to be Yeti with his (laughs) Yeti people. But who knows what kind of setup they have, you know, because so it is a little bit of a pipe dream, but it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like we sugarcoat things and get used to things and make ourselves feel like it's normal and natural. And I like to challenge all that. Yeah. All those feelings where you're like, "Oh, oh, you think everything's how it is? Like how it was just everything you've ever heard said to you by someone that seems like they know what the fuck they're talking about was right. Maybe it isn't right. Maybe everything's wrong. So I always play that role, but I actually do think there's something weird about this kind of thing. Because I I come up to this problem. Get your bingo cards out. I have a degree in philosophy. Winner. And if, when I and when, <laughs> can come get your prize. It's a lecture about how I was in philosophy again. Um. So when I was in philosophy, I we had to write all these papers and read all these things, all the philosophy. And I came up against whatever this problem is, this like weird wall you hit where you're like, huh, there's like a difference between the ideal and the possible. And the actual, you know, mm. like, I don't like,
1: yeah. you know, why
0: anything at all? You know, that kind of like difficult, difficult mm. question. I think there's something really interesting about it. That's like fundamental to reality, kind of like discovering that like, Like when Neo in the Matrix, you know, where you're like, oh shit, like I thought there was something weird going on. And I always, I always knew I kind of had this choice to like kind of ignore it. And what I know, what it was, it was so radical and so crazy that I couldn't, I couldn't even look at it barely. You know, I couldn't even countenance that Mm. because it's just, it's almost like traumatizing to realize that things could be any other way. Mm. and it, and it may have it may not look anything at all like what we have it could be like us versus yeti society like who knows they don't have government mm. they don't have buildings i don't know what they have maybe they do other kind of building i don't i don't know you know what i'm saying like
1: it could just be so shockingly different that you just don't even know how to even begin to assimilate any of that yeah kind of like yeah the, and i think
0: there's Yes, and I think there's like uh, something still fundamental to being a person as a human. We'll do this over and over again. Yeah, yeah. You know, like this try this kind of like what are, oh we gotta figure shit out. Things get hard, and then things get better, and then things get bad, and then get hard. It's like what's, uh, it's like it's difficult and delicate, and it can if our history is accurate, which I question, but if it is, then it shows that like uh, that book we were talking about, like these cycles of like. And then it gets bad again. And then it gets weird again. Then it gets like some catastrophe or something, you know, just this odd flow to life that's like, and again, that's my last thing. I will, thinking of all these things that way, hit the fundamental question of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what are we doing here? Why are we alive? What is the point? You know, it's just like, what? It's just impasse for me. That was the
1: opener for the last podcast. It's just going to be the opener forever. What? Now.
0: What is the point? What the fuck is going on? Oh, good. I'll probably say it like once a podcast, though.
1: So. Um, yeah. Well, so one thing I think, yeah, just to return earlier to parse two things. I think there's like the overgrowth maybe of law and legislation. That's like what is actually, you know, governed by people, and then I think maybe overlapping, but not slightly, not exactly the same is. The authority bit, like okay, so whatever it is, what gives you or anyone the authority to enforce those things and say those things are right and to hold other people accountable to those things and to compel other people it's to behave agre- in the it's way. It's the agreement. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and it. So you, because what you were saying was that guy. You're giving that example. That guy. Mm-hmm. Who This feels like we're having like a, oh yeah, we remember now, but everyone else is like, it's been one second. How did you forget everything? It'll be so, weird to t- tap this yeah. onto the other yeah. part and listen yeah, back yeah, yeah. to <laughs> it. So you were talking about this, that guy who was saying like one of the greatest ways to respect the law. Is to break it. Yes. To yes, That's a general theme it, where... of like
1: nonviolent protest.
0: And so that concept that that guy came up with is fully, maturely rooted in this whole system that we're in during this cycle or whatever, during this time Mm. where we kind of, and most people would agree. I I think you could get a lot of people to admit like intellectuals, regular folks that we all agree to, you know, like a certain, I was going to say it one way and I've kind of lost the wording, but like that we all kind of like civic norms or something. Yeah. 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 Like we, we all want to, be in a peaceful state. And th- we all impl- explicitly and implicitly know that involves interacting with other people. In fact, that can be some of the most troubling stuff. <laughs> and that we just want all that to go smoothly. Yeah, yeah. And that there's no problem agreeing to like a system that helps facilitate that. Right, right. And we will all want that to happen. And I think, I mean, I don't know. The anarchy thing seems too difficult. In fact, the laws seem like it would make you
1: well, I think that's, yeah, the impulse safety arguments prey on too is that everybody wants an environment where they don't have to yeah, worry about it. Yeah, oh, let's just make a night. system.
0: Yeah. yeah. Let's just do this thing and then we'll all be, we'll all just have to not think about that so hard anymore. Yeah. And that has just gotten totally away mm. from us, I guess, is one big thing. That's like, a good way to put it. Because it has to be balanced. You know, like where the, I feel like at some point the thing that kept all that in check must have been. Well, it was, I don't think it's ever been a check. I think we made the government and then it's been like just an absolute <laughs> rocket ship to where we are now. And it's like accelerating. It's like an asthmatopal function, <laughs> whatever. Is that a word? Yeah. yeah. Like, where it's like, it's like we got really crazy. I mean, five trillions is a lot of money, as Ted Cruz was saying. And now we're at, now we're just like, bay, 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 bay. like double, 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 yeah. double, you know, over and over every couple of years. And it's like, Something has to temper that. I feel like if all the stories were told about our culture and who we are and what we are all about and all that, if all that was true and we implemented like principle, like the constitution, like if we just followed that kind of guiding idea, we'd be okay. And I think that's evidenced by this whole like trope of people being like, what would our founding fathers say about where we are now? You know, they'd be like, holy fuck, how is that possible? You know, like, it just would be mind-boggling, and uh, it would be, the mind-bogglingness would come out of, like, deeply probably felt principles, like, that's just absolutely irresponsible. Like, this, the only thing you should ever contemplate at this point in time is remedying your situation immediately, all engines on this problem, and then they've, someone walks by and taps that dead president on the shoulder and says oh, are you Abe Lincoln or what? Are you George Washington? And he goes, well, yes, I am, little boy. And then the little boy goes, oh, actually, my pronouns are... And then all the politicians join in a chorus and debating that subject. And it's like that, too, would be a whole another instance of being completely dumbfounded. It would probably knock them back into the grave to just even witness the mundane ridiculousness of that of the and it's it's almost like a dark comedy like it's so bleak to think about the fact that like there's real fucking issues going on we've talked about a lot of them over the episodes it's like what's wrong with the matrix like something's happening (laughs) why are we focused
1: on these words when there's literal things happening that we should really
0: probably uh get our our uh hands-on and and that we you know. and that we just keep doing it over and over again like we just i said so in the past i can remember and like it feels like in, in the very recent past it's like oh is it debt ceiling discussion time again already last year oh, who's <laughs> yeah who's in control of the house right now oh gosh so they'll they'll say this and then they'll block that and then they'll it'll be oh my god the whole government will shut down and then what will happen oh and then it'll happen and then nothing happens and everyone was like that was the worst and then we just go on and then we forget that it ever happened 10 minutes later because nothing actually really happened and it's like i don't know i don't know what's happening it feels fake again it feels like roads and airplanes i'm like is that really happening are, there, are we really getting in metal tubes flying around the sky? Did we really lay so much asphalt that it stretches from one side to the other on a four-lane highway multiple times over again? Yeah. That's amazing. You know, it reminds me. It does me not seem real. <laughs> of a quote by Carl Sagan, the author uh, of Pale oh, Blue I Dot. Oh, I really want to read some of that. I haven't. I have one of his books. I've never heard of that. I mean, I've heard the... Title, but I don't know anything about it. I have that one about spirits or aliens or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
1: Uh, well, anyway, I'm uh, gonna misquote him now because I don't have the quote in front of me. Oh,
0: here's one right. It's sitting right here. Oh, the dragons of Eden. I don't know what it's about. Right. It's just sitting here.
1: Yeah, he's an astronomer, but uh, uh. he said something like, "I worry that we will lose our sense of what is true." in favor of what feels good. Like, we won't be able to distinguish those two things.
0: Why did he say that? Like, what was he seeing in his time? He's, like, a generation or two all uh, be- behind us now. Like, what was his observation?
1: Yeah, I wish I could answer. I really don't know. I'm not informed on the topic. Um, I read some excerpts from uh, his Pale Blue Dot mm. book, but that one was, like, so there were these pictures taken uh, from the... Earth is the Pale Blue Dot. Right, from right? the satellite like, that's out us. in right. space. And he was, like, look, we're, like... Look at this tiny little speck in space, and like that everything that ever happened in humanity is like on that tiny little dot, and like that's it. Like, look how small that is. Um, and so well, yeah. space is fake, but yeah, go on. Of course, yeah, space
0: is not real. So, um, so then you just plug right into the matrix, and yeah, well, this is all of existence. So really, we're not a pale blue dot. We're this big. We're the biggest thing that ever exists right here. <laughs> and it's. I've I've heard it's also uh. Like, I don't know if it's circular or square, but it's flat, that's for sure. Yeah,
1: it's definitely flat. Uh, definitely two-dimensional, <laughs> actually. Um, the third dimension, that's not real. We are two-dimensional. Um, well, I think, yeah, there's, like, two ways of seeing that, I guess. You know, like, the nihilistic way, which is, like, you know, we're so tiny, nothing matters. Like, we might as well, you know, do whatever. Uh, and then there's the other way where it's, like, oh, but it's, like, so tiny, but it's also so meaningful. And, like, even just a tiny thing could be really important, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, how meaningful this all is.
0: Um. Oh, that's the um thing we discussed briefly. The mor- uh, Nagel's I think it's Nagel, Nagel's Mortal Nagel Questions. Cheryl, mortal questions. Yeah. That, and there's a fallacy of. I I don't think I came up with this. I'm pretty sure it's in Nagel's thing, but it's like the fallacy of, I don't know, some clever ph- philosophical thing. But like, basically, that big stuff is more important than little stuff.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's obviously not true. And then I think you can flip it on its head and be like, if something as small as you feels like, just think about how intense your own experience is like, and if you could think about all of society being, you know, much bigger than you, like how, yeah, intense that must be and crazy. And like, you feel like your life is very meaningful. So, you know, maybe the whole thing is like even more meaningful than that. Um, Anyway.
0: Yeah the reason I made fun of the flat earth thing there is because that's kind of like part of their philosophy is that like the ultimate kind of conclusion, it seems like that comes from this whole like flat earth thing is that somehow you're more important under this mm. the theory. Mm. So because it's not, you're not just like this dust, dust speck in the vast expanse of infinity that basically renders you completely insignificant because a thousand more things, a thousand more times, and more important than you, whatever you have going on here on this planet are going on somewhere else because infinite right sure and yeah. their and their whole thing is no this plane is reality and it's yada yada you know yeah. so it quickly it quickly escalates into that that's a really which is why hmm. it's it's why it's I think it's why it's so head scratchingly popular yeah that's what i was gonna say that's
1: kind of like an interesting interpretation or take on why people might believe that like at least psychologically there could be some underlying impulse that's like reactionary against nihilism that's like no like we're not just this tiny insignificant against yeah.
0: that feeling of nihilism people actually have you right because they do because you i think people approach it and someone says here's this and by the way that makes things way more visceral right it's like and actually like life has the meaning.
1: things here that you do are important and like you know like if the world's flat like that's all there is like you know it's just this and then obviously you know that physically makes things more important if you change the parameters of your the story about what you think was going
0: on in reality uh, i th- yeah. i wonder if it's true that throughout history we really have that's my washing machine i really i wonder how much we've come to this place throughout history. In that regard, like regarding nihilism versus like meaning coming to or like this this meaningless kind of existence because crisis of meaning. It's difficult to imagine. Is oh, is that a book? I got to read it. There's
1: like a person who says that. Uh, someone's someone keeps saying that we're in a meaning crisis, or crisis of meaning. It's like a researcher, like maybe John yes.
0: Verbeke. Okay, I'm getting into books. I got a lot of books to read, so. Because I think we are in that place. I had this feeling today. I'm trying to remember right now what the situation was that kind of made me feel that way. I think I was just listening to a podcast and someone just kind of stumbled. you know, this something around what life is for came up. I think the person was saying, oh, it's like a, we're here. It's like a test and you learn your thing and then you move on, whatever, whatever. People just say things like that, fanciful ideas of how reality works. And I... At least one thing that came from, like kind of listening to that discussion was the feeling that that idea, that thought process to think of things like that, like you're here for a reason. you learn something and you move on. It's much bigger than just this this thing because it's confined between birth and death and then not and then what? yeah, and then nothing. And I don't know we were raised so Christian, which is like not a finality. like there's but there's no real understanding and I don't know if there can be of like what does come next
1: yeah well it's kind of like it reminds me of what you were saying earlier like there's something about reality and the ideal and something about the ideal that can't correspond to what we consider literal Um,
0: or like even almost possible as well I think I use that word and like possible and actual yeah because it's like neither it's neither one of those possible. that's kind of what young ding 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 (laughs) you won two bingo cards today why didn't we call this the philosophy and carl young i know we had a whole conversation (laughs) about like what are we gonna talk about and i was like
1: i don't know we're just gonna talk and it turns out all we're gonna talk about is what the fuck is going on young
0: and (laughs) took a philosophy or mr a took a philosophy class (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it it's weird it's um that's okay though that's fine it's fine it is definitely good this content. one will definitely. I think this will expose the um, the meaning of the title that we did choose, "Social Psycho." Yes, I don't even. I never knew exactly what it meant, but it what means whatever you're experiencing right now. If you're listening, to this. <laughs> it means yeah, it's a good juxtaposition.
1: Uh, which uh, anyway, so young. That's what he thought about the archetypes. He was like, the archetypes are like these ideals and they represent, like, the potentialities of situations that are made manifest in any given moment and situation. And kind of, like, that was his word for sort of, like, the implicit ideal, I guess. But he, I guess, saw it a little more multiplicitous, mul- multiplicitous. uh, like, there could be... Multiplicitissifal. Multiplicitissifal. But he thought there could be different, you know... Uh, potentialities in different situations so maybe it doesn't all culminate to one ideal um,
0: I, I mean well there's, yeah, that, it's hard there's to that verse in the bible that says something like one day we'll see clearly but f- for now we see only and there's different interpretations and I like this one right but right currently we see only in a mirror darkly Oh, that's interesting. Can we talk about so it's like oh, go ahead. so it's like a reflection or're seeing something so the archetype is and then us, and it's like we're trying to see that stuff mm. and understand what is right, what is wrong? and it's' so one interpretation is a window, but I think it's a mirror is the right interpretation because I've seen both that we look into a mirror dimly, so it's like it's a mirror, it's like reflecting, and it's dark. Like you can barely see it at all, anyways. Mm. Like, you know, there's no light to see. And that, but then of course the point I think of that is that one day something will be revealed. But I like the metaphor that that's really we're like stuck in this dark, uh, looking into like a dark mirror where it's a mirror, it's a reflection. We don't even know that. I like the fact that it's interpreted both ways. So it's like which is I don't even know if this is a mirror or a window. It's so dark I can't tell. We don't even you know, know. Like who that's we how are. dark we're. Yeah. yeah. We just get little glimpses and like. Then we develop laws. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whatever, you know.
1: No, I was going to say, can we talk about, just for a second, while we're on this topic, NDEs? So I started watching this thing about near-death experiences. We brought that up a
0: little bit last episode. Yeah,
1: it's wacky as hell. Um, These people talk about dying, and then they're like, and then I sat on the shoulder of the doctor in the operating room as he used this what looked like a mechanical toothbrush to cut my brain open. And then they put some bolts from this case that looked like it had bolts in it on the thing. And so they come out of these experiences and tell the doctors. And doctors like, How did you see that? You were medically dead and we were literally drilling into your brain. Um, how could you have possibly known what these devices look yes. like?
0: I'm really glad you brought up that example, because that's exactly what I was gonna ask. And Based on your, where did you watch this documentary? On
1: Netflix. I don't know what it's called. So Look did
0: it, it did it seem legit? Like, did you, was, I mean, because I've heard those stories too. Like, they I was over here fake, and this yeah. guy had this n- name tag and I like read it. And then no, I went over there and it was.
1: Yeah, there. they could be fake. But it seemed legit because they talked to this woman and then they talked to the doctor that the woman had told that to. And the doctor was like, I used to not believe in God. And she's like, and now I do. And. I think when people say things like that, it either is like you're really kooky or it's just real.
0: Yeah. So the doctor who has supposedly nothing really to gain because it's they didn't have the experience. They didn't create the experience. They just did doctor Witnessed stuff. It, yeah. <laughs> and it's a surgeon. Right. Yep. Presumably. Okay. A brain yeah, surgeon. A neurosurgeon. They, <laughs> a lot of respect for those guys. Pretty gotta be pretty matter of fact. I think there's only one way to cut the brain correctly so you're probably a pretty methodical guy yeah or gal so yeah that's that is persuasive to me i mean that's interesting and i don't know well i what were we saying last time like there's something i don't know like i think that was our point bringing it up it was like i don't know what that is yeah it seems to be something but i don't know that's what to does me does that tie into like aliens and stuff too like is all of mm. that kind of stuff all related somehow? whatever's going on in this like unseen realm I think which by the way oh go ahead would bring us back to I think our like one of our first episodes if it even got published where we were talking to I don't think it did it was the one about <laughs> Robo Mary or something was oh, that Oh, I was? I, Robot? Anyways, I, I don't, don't know. know. No, whatever, who cares? Go on, make your point. Oh,
1: you were talking about the Mary that couldn't see the color or whatever and then you tell her you're like, "Oh, this is she knows all about red and then I she think, sees red for the first time uh, or something."
0: Some one of those, yeah. Anyway,
1: whatever. I I was taking all of that to mean that uh, you're like a piece cut from a cloth. And I think something about our consciousness is like we're active, actually like there's one consciousness and that we're tapping into it somehow. And that maybe like, this is a crackpot theory. Like maybe DMT is helping us access it. Like it's a portal to it or something. I only say that because DMT is released when you are born and when you die so, when people have these near-death experiences, like, some people have postulated that it's because DMT is being released, and they talk about the timelessness
0: of the experience, like, it lasts. They don't even know Sorry. how long. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm doing that thing you did in that other episode. I have to correct what I was saying. It wasn't the merry one. It was the physical facts versus epiphenomenal oh. events. So, that there's – if reality is more along the lines that we're discussing, or we're, like, bumping against something out there in a totally different realm – Now we can revisit the idea if we even did this podcast. If not, we can do it again sometime. It's pretty interesting if we did it quickly. But like are there things affecting us? Basically the whole problem with all – any and this is the vein through all of science that says this stuff doesn't exist is that there can't be everything we know is physical. So nothing not physical could have anything to do with the physical stuff because we don't know how that would affect stuff how could non-physical stuff affect physical stuff cuz we think we're all physical what you even that thing you feel like is you inside of you is really just according to science and all this brain states and it's physical states it's physical something so there's mm. nothing else even on the deepest level other than the physical stuff but maybe in a totally different realm that philosophical paper that I'm referencing They're talking about just like experience, like conscious experiences. I think it's epiphenomenal qualia is the paper's title or something. Yes, which is probably if it didn't get published, that's why it didn't get published (laughs) is because we use words like epiphenomenal qualia. Anyway, yeah, just the
1: question like do, do your experiences like the phenomena, the phenomenological experience, like what you feel, do they have a direct correspondence to your actual physical experience?
0: Yes, the redness of red, like how... When you look at a red thing or the blue sky, or if you look at a big, vast blue sky or like in Texas or something where you just were, and it's just like, wow, it has, because of the physical features, whatever, it has this appearance of being this huge, different kind of sky, the Texas sky. Mm, Yeah. No matter who cares how that happens physically, you get like this feeling. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. You just, what is it, you know? And so is that physical too? That's the question. Like, yeah, oh yes. If I'm a scientist, that's just nothing. That's literally, I could make you have that feeling if I wanted to just through some other means. And that means it's irrelevant. You're irrelevant. The earth is small and it's a ball. You know, like it, it all fits together in this like meaningless- Explanation for everything. And
1: we don't know what the hell feelings are anyway. Like, what are they? It's a hard question to define. And yeah, it's an epistemological question, like, because we can't know the physical facts other than through our feelings and our experiences. So it's like, even to get to the physical facts that you're like, it explains everything. You have to go through this window of experience. So it's like, what are we talking about?
0: All that to say, I do wonder, it makes me wonder since we brought up Carl Sagan. I didn't even know I had this book. I literally just looked over. The Dragons of Eden. This is like a, a, sign. a science guy. So something... I think that title is telling us something. The
1: Dragons of Eden. It is.
0: There's a vein of the mystical, the archetypal, the spiritual, the whatever you want to call it. That, And I think this whole science thing... Like, what did we just hear through the whole scandemic for a, a million fucking times over again? <sighs> trust the science, trust the science. Why well, just trust the science? Science is all that matters. I mean, we have to look at the science, the science, the numbers, the data. And it's like, it's become the religion. It was like, you had your priests of, of this, like Fauci and others, Deborah Burks, and these people you can listen to. And these people you can't, these people who are ex excommunicated and ostracized, even if they once were doctors they're they have bad ideas. Now excommunicate them. They don't believe in science. Like you just have to believe in it. Like it's like, like as if science is a thing to believe in, mm. which it isn't, that science is a it's a method. It's the full terminology is the scientific method. It's a way of doing things, observe, test hypotheses, try to falsify That's science. This thing, just proclamations from the high priests of science is not science. That's another thing. But that approach encompasses all this kind of like physicalism and all this stuff. It's all kind of part of the same vein. It's all according to what they would call science. And that, it seems to be possibly the culprit that's rendered everything de- devoid of meaning. Yeah. Cause it's the same science that's doing astronomy. It's the same science that's doing physics, it's the same science. And there's like these weird fundamentals that they all have to believe. So even though they're not an expert in biology as an astrophysicist, I do believe in evolution. Yeah. And it's like, well you shouldn't have any, barely any thoughts on that. It's just some, some kind of fundamental that's hardly proven at all. It's a good theory, but it's not a something, again, to believe in. It's just a weird – it's like – and now what do we do? We don't, like, have any – everything. We want to all kill ourselves and be different genders to feel something.
1: Well, it's all very physicalist and very literal, like – and I think – it reminds me of something Jordan Peterson said where he was like, I have all these paintings in my home um, everywhere. And he was like – and they're like windows into the deeper reality that lies behind all our perceptions, and I thought that's funny. That I so just looked up
0: at a picture, and I was like, I should just show Ben that. For some reason, it fits, and it's just literally a piece of art. And I'm like, because like I was thinking, maybe art is the answer. Like we need to bring back things that are meaningful, because that's something. Yes. That you can have an experience that's man-made, so to speak, and like interesting, even if it's just like this. Well, it. Oh yeah, show me what even this is. If it's just this. I, I just looked over, and it was just there. It's just something Kim bought. Mm. It's just a chick in the wind and i was like someone like drew that well it appears and they have skill and it took them a long time and they like someone poured themselves their time energy effort into doing this and sometimes it sucks but this person didn't suck and in a way even all of their practice drawings before they ever got to the skill level have some kind of artistic beauty quality to them and the fact that it's the evolution of a human being's skill and to something that they'll one day pour hours and hours and hours of culminating to days and possibly years of their life into, which is meaningful. Yeah,
1: well, it peers into your soul, and something about cultivating beauty there, too, is like a lifelong endeavor and worthwhile, worth the pursuit, and uh, takes a lot of hard work uh, in dedicate, dedicating your life to, maybe. Um, and there's something about, yeah, peer, it appeals or pierces the veil, maybe, of our perceptions because, you know, it... Good art kind of shakes you. It forces you to realize something new, perceive something in a different way.
0: Or that something you just find beauty in. Like I was describing, like like my fiance of 100,000 years, so we can't say we're married yet. For some reason, I just will refuse to say wife. Uh, and I, sometimes I'll just watch, the because I can just watch her draw, you know? And I'm like, it'll be like the most simple thing. I'm like, I'm thinking of building this thing over there. Can you just like kind of sketch out this little portion of the art and just kind of like draw like a box here so I can kind of get a visual for it? Cause I always try first. It never works. Oh, okay, like a hill is a curved line in my mind. I don't know what she does, but as she puts that pencil on the paper, and like the fact that she can see those lines and the perspective and how to make something, like it literally blows my mind because I, my brain can't figure out how to do that. Yeah, well, there's something, you know? there. and I'm like, to, even that to me is just like amazing. Because like the sculpture of David doesn't make me feel like anything new. Necessarily, but it does make me go, "Holy shit! Who? How? Who did this? Like, how did they do that?"
1: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, there's something like a good painting I like is a there's like a pipe or something, like a a tobacco pipe, like a smoking pipe, and it says just the title of the painting is like, "This is a pipe," and it's like a small thing, and it's just very like, because it really does force you to think. And I I have been thinking this recently about AI, like the precision when we're talking and when we speak like what we actually mean is way more complicated than we perceive typically i think like even just that like this is a pipe it's like well, no it's not it's not a pipe it's like a pipe in my mind it's like it's a picture lines of a pipe, yeah. on a page it's like my philosopher
0: professor that i was telling you about the guy is there can you have depictions within depictions what's inside of art what is those things <laughs> right. or what are those things yeah and then even like a real pipe you're like wait what it
1: what is pipe like? And then you're like, "That's what I think too about like the AI stuff where it'll be like, pick a picture of this, you know, with two bicycles or something, and it's like, yeah, is oh, like yeah. a motorcycle a bicycle? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so many
0: problems. We did, yeah, we did that with zebras and horses in one of my philosophy of artificial intelligence classes, and it's such a simple thing, but it's like there's it's it really stuck with me i was like that is it really in i remember in the class being like i know i should not be impressed by this thought experiment but there's something wild about what we do like you know because that is the thing the computers struggle with certain things and then they're really good at it in a weird way like m- like 99 of people have five fingers on each hand even though some t- like when they're all bunched up, you can barely tell you know so like i could see a human being like experience like just having never counted fingers before like we all learn how to count with our fingers but like you know you you can't you're not really looking at someone's hand and going i know there's five fingers there you know what i mean and, and every now and then i swear i've seen someone's hand and they're like whoa they have six how many fingers oh, are yeah. their hand just kidding whoa, 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 <laughs> oh it's just a- oh they just have a big hand you know or oh they just have a lot of rings on you know that's like jarring but for some reason ai's put like 70 fingers on people's hands and half the time it takes a minute to notice it you know what i mean when they make the art it's like Oh, this looks like a person. And then I saw one the other day and I was like, something's weird about this. And I was like, oh my God, there were like 200 teeth in the person's (laughs) mouth, but almost you could almost not even notice it. (laughs) But my my thing is like, I don't know. So my point is twofold. One is that's scary that AI is getting likenesses, but not exactnesses. Like, Well, it should be getting it exactly right. Almost. Why is it getting it? Not exactly. Like, why is it being lazy and putting seven fingers that's freaking me out that it's like no it's not like it's thinking oh they won't notice but it's like like i don't notice but i'm not a fucking computer well that's the weird thing notice. it's like we don't <laughs> notice it's
1: like it is weird how readily you are to perceive those things and then when you stare at them for a second you're like oh wait that's you know they why does this person have so many fingers or why this person doesn't even have yeah. an arm or like you
0: know like their body and is if not they even were in, in re- if if I saw that person in real life, it would pro- you'd probably run away from them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's, pro- it'd probably make you feel really. It's that uncanniness that like if it's something that's really they call it the uncanny valley. If something's really close to being exact but not quite, and it's perceivably not quite, it makes you way more uncomfortable than like like a robot that looks like the tin. No, that's actually a person. A robot that looks like the Jetsons robot that's just like blocks mm. of like steel doesn't make you feel uncomfortable but then they now they're making these robots that look like dogs with like bazookas on them or whatever and that's like freaks people out a little bit they're like that looks too and you'll kick it if people they do those like balance tests and the scientists will like kick the or the <laughs> the engineers will kick them to like see how good they can like recover from being destabilized and people all the time every like have like a visceral feeling like that makes me sad but it's because it's so close that, like, there's something uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Or those, like, weird sex doll things that are, like, robots, you know, it's, like, there's something off about them. It's weird. And then
1: people talk to robots, too, in a weird voice. Like, you have your Siri voice. Like, what the hell is that about? Even the AI. Like, people will talk to AIs, like, now. And you're, like, you know the AI is pretty good, you know. like, But you still talk to it in this weird-ass voice. Um, It's weird. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is also a weird phenomenon. It's like you have to standardize. So like everyone's voice is a little different. Like mine is super nasally and I slish and slosh and like mumble and eat my words constantly as the French say. But it's like sometimes I have to talk so unnaturally slow. Like you'll put the phone down and you'll almost start talking to someone that's sitting next to you like that too. You know, like, oh yeah, LOL. Like, oh, wait a minute. It's like a different language that we're evolving with the robots it's almost like just like a standardized version of it like the most yeah not the most perfect but like the most it's it is a little infantilized i guess but you don't talk to it like it's a puppy like we definitely yeah. do that with puppies like oh you boo yeah but then when it's the, i never do that. in fact i'll verbally abuse alexa i don't have her anymore because i got rid of that home but <laughs> i did and i and i would get so mad i get mad at any any automated humanoid While well, they're thing.
1: listening so intently you could be like sleeping in your bed and you're like, alexa. <laughs> she's like you know, it's
0: like i'm listening what do you need i still say something like that do you remember that oh when yeah. we looked up on the app and it was so it, alexa was recording just random shit in the house for some reason <laughs> and my stepdad your dad there was a recording of him on there and it said it, well the, the it also transcribes it next to it and there was one entry in there there was all sorts of because we had a little cousin running around so there was all sorts of weird stuff like poopy butt <laughs> and uh but then there was one that just said suck my dick <laughs> and then and then we were like who said that and I was so afraid that it was me telling like hey Alexa suck my dick like I was just being stupid or something and then it was Robert going yeah I don't know something like that <laughs> So now, that's like an inside joke. I, I'm, I say it all the time. I'm like, oh, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Anyways. Anyway, yeah, I was just going to
1: add one last thing on that perception thing you know, as wrong as the computer can get it, and then we're like, oh, yeah, that looks like a good picture. <laughs> you like, that's some people standing next to a train station. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, my God. yeah, That's not a train. And those people have 10 arms. <laughs> uh, it does make you wonder, yeah. for me at least.
0: like, it's Like a new form of impressionism.
1: Yeah, what's even going on in our regular perception? If that's how, like wrong we can be and yet readily we perceive and are sure that like yep that's what that is like what that could just be going on in your normal life like we're just like totally in a weird hallucination that we're just like misperceiving all sorts of things and maybe the real reality is quite different like neo oh yeah
0: well there's this prominent dude and all i i remember some of the other stuff they said but one of the things that was really profound and probably has been said a million times is that we are not evolved or developed to perceive the world as it is. Yes, that is the
1: Anil Seth hypothesis, is that you don't perceive the world as it is, you perceive it as it is relevant to you.
0: Wait, is that who it was? How, who is it? What's his name?
1: Well, it's just one person. He's a uh, neuro... Oh, there he is. Neurologist, neuro, uh, like consciousness researcher, Anil Seth. Oh, I wonder. But uh, he, yeah, he says, you know, like, you know, the way you perceive things is not actually what they are. Like, so you perceive a coffee cup and maybe it's, you know, atoms in a configuration reflecting light. But you perceive coffee cup, you perceive a use, you perceive a name that's the use, you know, you perceive the reflection, maybe it has like a little sheen, maybe you perceive the color. But the color is just a wavelength, a frequency of light, and the sheen
0: is like the way it's reflecting off of the object. Um, yes, this is also the example I gave of like even more tangible things like the speed of something, like when you're crossing the street, right, right. the speed of a car, because, you know, you have that kind of hesitation to pull out in front of a car. If you're stopped in like the middle of the, the road, you have like a, one of those U-turns right between two lanes of traffic. You, you miss a lot of opportunities. You know, you could be like, oh, I, I could have gone, you know, but you don't see it because you're perceiving that car is moving quicker for what might be called an evolutionary purpose, like a survival right, purpose, right. Essentially. And that's what
1: I think, yeah, back to the art thing. I think that's what art is. It's like peeling back. It's like kind of getting to what is it actually, you know, like what's behind our perceptions? What's the reality of things? And I think maybe the crisis that we're at today, the crisis of meaning seemingly, also seems to be highly associated with that, like the inability to see things for what they are, like thinking too literally, like taking your perceptions as reality.
0: Yeah part of what I was thinking earlier, that little story I told, but like I was struck earlier by this sensation of thinking where I was listening to that podcast and the guy said like something about you're here to learn a lesson and then you move on to the next incarnation, whatever, you know, something like that. And I was thinking about the belief in that. I just kind of, the way I took it was like, that's what he believed. That's interesting. That would be a nice way to think. I, I could think that way. Like, and then I kind of just considered my life and what I do on a daily, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, have I, what? and I kind of, the th- thought that was kind of overwhelming personally was if that's true will i have done that like so i thought about like my whatever shortcomings what thing might i be here to learn like what do i seem like i need to learn i don't know you know mm. and i was like am i learning that like how long will it take me will i actually learn it in this lifetime or will i get, be stuck in certain ways or ways of patterns of thought or whatever and i was like wow i i should and then this is where the insight came in it's like related to what we're talking about as i was thinking I should pick something to believe in kind of mm-hmm. on a base level. That was the thought, you know, and the, the reason being, because like, then maybe like, if I thought this, what this guy was thinking, there's these things about myself that I, if I thought of them as like, I need to make sure I don't get stuck like this and, and die tomorrow. And for some fucking random ass reason, as I get older, they seem more and more real and tangible. Like imagining myself, like really being 60, like I'm already 30 something. It's like, Oh my God, what the fuck? And why do I not? Why did I, why does it feel more pressing? after hearing this idea and thinking that that could be a way to live life and a thing, what to believe, like, if I just believed that, like that I could like, and then I started thinking, like, could I believe that? Like I was raised a certain way with certain beliefs. Like, could I believe those things? Like, why don't I, like, what is it that I'm, am I afraid of something? Do I, do I honestly not see the logic in it or can't believe it or what, like what really is. Because that's like, I, we spent all this time trying to prescribe meaning and shit to like the faults of society, but like there are plenty within ourselves, or at least within myself. And I think, oh, in this case, I am identifying in this moment a behaviors that I have that as I th- heard this theory, thought I could change those and that would be good for me. And they could be helping me check things off the list that could be the potential thing I need to learn while I'm here. And so it was like this motivating thing. Mm just through the idea of having a belief system that would keep me doing that, you know, because it's one thing to have the thought intellectually and another thing to go, I'll believe that. And if I do really believe it, then I'll do things accordingly. Like Kim doesn't believe or in certain situations in the past, at least in my sawmill business. <laughs> but if, if I stop believing that would be really weird. Like I would, I've done things in accordance with that belief, you know, and I'm still doing things. I'm working towards something. Uh, Mm. So it's like.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the sunk cost of changing your belief systems. Maybe the rigidity that people.
0: Maybe that's it. Yeah. I'm thinking of the last kingdom. There's this whole storyline of this. Somehow you're going to have to be the one to relate this, what we're talking about, because I've already lost that part, but I'll tell you a story. So this whole storyline of this king, it's like medieval kind of pre-England danes and saxons kind of thing and they're like trying one of the guys is like one of the early kings like trying to make england like unite all these lands in peace and under christianity and he's being well i don't want to spoil that but i'll say that let's just say the church is a strong presence in these times and he's like doing gay stuff and he's really troubled by it because he's also full of guilt it is kind of one of the ideas that someone presented him and that is like kind of motivating him is that like, well, if you expand the Christian faith, then like that'll kind of undo your sin or, your sin, guilt, you know, whatever. Maybe. Cause the guy was, the guy was fucking around, but you know, but that was like one of these things that came into that came to him. And I don't know, it's just, like I said, you'll have to be the one to tie that into what we were talking about. But like it coincides of course, with like belief and,
1: Well, yeah, there's something about, yeah, if these ideas or belief systems, like, the power of them. And I think, yeah, if I believed this, what would happen to me, you know, sort of thing. Like, if I really held this as true, what kinds of things might I do? Who might I become?
0: And and that was very palpable. It's like, oh, that is a situation to be in, you know, in that context of, like, medieval or whatever. Church kind of sits there right by you in the throne. You have all these... Like, here's like a modern day problem for you to witness. It was a little much because it seemed like it departed a lot from the show. And it was like, are you just doing this to go woke? Or what is this? Mm. Like, it was in the first five minutes. But still... It was something you could imagine, you know, it fit in a way. And you're like, that is, what would that person do? It takes that kind of question, separates it from your time period, puts it in a different situation where you're kind of like, you've already picked sides in this world. You believe in some of this, you know, you're going along for the ride and you're like, Eugh. well,
1: yeah. And it's a little complicated. I mean, in that case too, it's like, cause well, one, it's like, you don't know how things might turn out like you have limited information about the future so you can postulate about like if i believe this maybe these are the things i would do and who i'd become but also that's highly and, biased and what
0: does it mean for by you know, what you know like you said what was that thing you said the sunk cost oh, of yes. changing your beliefs mm. That if i yeah so if, if i do decide today i'm gonna do we're gonna do this now that's how it fit in with that kid was trying to to have his cake and eat it too mm. but if i change my mind really what he felt he knew that to do was to like be different or like not do the thing that you think is like it's causing you all the strife or whatever. Yeah, well
1: maybe that's a meta point there too. It's like you know, what would it mean for your identity? Like how would you maintain continuity of identity if you change your belief system and acted as a completely new person with different centrally held beliefs? And I think that that's like, you know, another transcendent level of that revelation maybe which is like loss of attachment and the transcendence of the ego, the ego dissolution or whatever, the identification with something beyond the self um, or maybe the, yeah, dissolution of self. But, uh, yeah, I was going to say, too, it's also complicated in that case because you can have beliefs and still not, for example, uh, in that case, like he could think it's okay uh, to be gay or whatever he was doing but then also not write it into the the church's liturgy or whatever like maybe you know like in a way that people deviate from the ideal that doesn't mean that those those things are wrong necessarily but it doesn't mean that they're a part of the ideal kind of like uh like a little bit what we were saying about the fat model you know like it doesn't mean that being not completely physically beautiful is wrong like no not everyone is going to be completely physically
0: beautiful yeah like an ancient chapel is like magnificent and beautiful and awe-striking for a reason right but it's one of one of the way one of the reasons that works is because not every building is like that we still build buildings to live in (laughs) but they're not magnificent like this this is the house of God, after all. It's still a house. You know what I mean? Like metaphorically, whatever. It's not like because we did this, it contradicts our own existence because we don't <laughs> yeah, live some particular way. You know what I mean? It's like,
1: yeah, you're giving too much so, credence yeah. to
0: the religion or something. Like it would have to literally say
1: this in it, you know, for it to be okay or whatever. Could literally condone this. And it's like, I don't know that that's true either. Like there's a range of interpretations that are fine as well. And maybe too, it's not necessarily that you are the thing but maybe you cherish the thing maybe you affirm the thing maybe that's enough you know i don't think people appreciate yeah, and
0: that I, it's funny too because people want to go but i feel like this is common no matter whether it's like christianity or hindu or whatever it is that as you age there's going to be does like a, a minority or a, a group of people however large that have this experience of going okay i did that for my teens or 20s 30s whatever i now in a, in a sense, like people want to go like back to their roots sometimes, and some people loathe that idea. Like there's two, kind of two camps, sure, like, yeah, at least this like if to go back, and, and I think that yeah, then there's the people that seek out things, whatever, but they're searching something that they probably at one point through their childhood had a grasp on, but just in a particular form. So because I you get myself at least persuaded, <clears throat> you start thinking down that line, you start thinking down. oh, well, okay, Christianity and Jesus and other. But then you think there's got to be people that have the same experience and go, okay, I'm actually, whatever, I don't know anything about, but like the teachings of Buddha said, you know, this and that, and I really should be more There's some kind of underpinning, like whatever, those archetypes or something that can be revealed through that, that we're drawn back to or not, or we still run from, but maybe we seek in other places or whatever. But I think there's something to, we should talk about this sometime. Maybe Maybe we've done it vicariously enough, but the teenage uh, shame spiral. Hmm. Yes. Have you heard of that? Is that a I thing? haven't heard of that particular phrasing, but that I term, can imagine yeah. what it means. <laughs> so I guess, like, I guess it is a thing enough that you could like look it up, like Google it or something. I don't know if it's an academic term, but I was like, oh, that's interesting, because I feel like that is, at least for me, especially younger, at least there was this walking away from the things your childhood, becoming whatever, and doing the twenties, thirties thing, and then having some kind of crisis over that perhaps mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, where you're like, Oh, I'm, this doesn't comport with all these things. I believe now I have the shame spiral. And then sometimes the way out of that is to leave the thing, the context of what causes the shame behind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether it be like how you grew up, the morals or religion whatever. And then I think that that actually is a strong for apparently more than just myself, a strong force in someone's life that, I think people battle against yeah, and make a lot of really important decisions because of.
1: Oh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think things have that character of sort of like going away and coming back to um... – but also, I think, to me, it's like celestial bodies. Like, the way celestial bodies move, I think there's something very symbolic about that. Like, even just everything seems to move like that. Like, if you look at the way— The
0: elliptical yeah, orbits.
1: Planet, yeah, planet—yeah, elliptical orbits. But that's also, like, how electrons move in a atom. And so there's, like, something about this relationship that things have, and you're observing it mechanistically, physically— uh, But there's also something metaphorically, I think, true about that sort of relationship, like circling a thing. You know, like you could think about like the earth circling the sun and the sun is like provides the life and sustenance for the earth almost. But it's like we can't get too close. Otherwise, the earth would burn up and we'd all die. Um, And so there's like some distance between us um, and we're circling. We're always in motion around it. Our relationship to it Mm. is always changing.
0: Moses couldn't look at the face of God. He had to turn his head away while God passed before him. Yeah, yeah. There's something about yeah. which is weird because it's like that's Moses for God's sakes. You know what I mean? He like he's a holy man. He's supposed to be important. Yeah, yeah. And it's like even he, he has to like close his eyes or look look askew so he doesn't gaze directly upon whatever it is. Yeah, because he would die if he did. Right. That right. was the idea, the concept, which is comports exactly with what you were just saying. Yeah. Like, maybe you can't actually, as a person, yes, let alone attain it, even look at That's it. That's what I fully. think. Like, yeah. fully stare at it because you would be overcome and die. You die on
1: the cross, from, Yeah, Jesus, you become Jesus, and Jesus has to die. And I think,
0: or die on your, before Jesus in Moses' time, die on your own accord. Sure, yeah. From whatever. It's not like it was just a bright light. Yeah, it maybe was, you don't get sacrificed by other people. I think the metaphor is like, you can barely even countenance the idea of what reality truly is. That's how far departed from whatever that thing really is yes. that you are. Okay. And you might not even be able to handle seeing the truth because... Back to... Oh God, Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> the
1: NDEs and the sitting on the shoulder in the operating room or whatever. If that at all can be believed, and there are multiple accounts of NDEs. There's lots of people who have these sorts of experiences. It's not a large percentage of the population, but there's a lot of people... Um, if anything can be taken as true from that you're like something this consciousness whatever this conscious experience this person's having can incorporate things that the physical body is not physically couldn't have experienced and be been aware of and so that's what I was saying I think you're like cut out of a cloth or something like your body is like some limitation in some sense like a it is limited, literally, like just in like, you know, you're a certain size, you have a certain range of vision, you have a certain extension of the arms and capacity for movement. Um, but your consciousness is like unlimited, like you can imagine and you have fantasies and dreams. And and yeah, there's something. Yeah, I think it's just overwhelming. Like, I don't even know that you could have like you couldn't be you if you. We're aware of what all your consciousness is or something like because partly your consciousness is like identifying with the one single discriminant narrative that is you and like all of the set of limited perceptions that you have that you identify with. But then it's like plus a few that are out of sight to you. Right. And yeah. And I think, too, like when you take psychedelics or when you look at art, like we were saying, it like shakes your perspective And you start seeing like, oh. Like when
0: you do mushrooms and look in the mirror and you're like, oh, wait, something's not like I always thought it was. Right. right." There's
1: like a thousand ways to perceive this. I don't even know how I'm latching on to just one. And there's a million perspectives somehow. And I'm like capable of embodying all of them or something. It's, yeah. I don't know. I think there's something there that, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that could be not like literally at least in the dream state. But yeah, no, in the dream state though, there is something when you're not in the dream alone, and just you know what I mean. Especially like there's different kinds of dreams, but when you have one where you know the people in them, it needs to be symbolic, so you can see something that's not exact. It's like a moment in time. It's not one thing or the other. It's
1: well, yeah, the truth of something, something else. Yeah, the thing that exists outside of time. Across time, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting.
1: Anyway.